big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to give a huge shout out to our newest patrons, Allison and Taylor. Welcome to the team. If you, too, want access to bonus episodes, outtakes, our notes, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash podandprejudice. And now, enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 13 and 14 of Emma. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about Emma, and even more specifically, oh, sorry, and even more specifically, chapters 13 and 14 of Volume the First. Yes. Now, listeners, if you're new to this podcast, I, Becca, have been reading Jane Austen books for years. And I, Molly, have been reading Jane Austen books since the beginning of this podcast. If you want to hear Molly read through Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility for the first time, you can listen to seasons one and two of this podcast, respectively. But that is not what we're doing here today. No. Today, we're talking about Emma And it is a good set of chapters. (laughs) I wanted to keep going. I wrote in my notes, I want to keep reading. Why, oh, why did I have to stop? And that hasn't happened yet in this book. Oh, yeah. And I actually kind of did this purposefully because I had this moment where I was like, ooh, am I going to give her the next chapter too? And I was like, I kind of want to blue ball Molly a little (laughs) bit on this. She gave me a cliffhanger. Yes, indeed. Uh, One of our rare Austin cliffhangers. We love it. Yes. So let's tell the listeners where we left off. Yes. So we left off in um, Payfield v. Mary. Uh, where, where, <laughs> no, it's Payfield. <laughs> listeners, I just got my period maybe an hour ago, and I am um, dying and clutching a heating pad. So um, if I'm wrong about things in this episode, that's why. Don't blame my brain. Blame my body. Payfield v. Mary? Is that what you <laughs> I said Payfield v. Mary. Payfield v. Mary. It sounds like a new version of Lord of the Rings. That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, Wingfield v. Perry. Last episode, you said we shaz (laughs) instead of we. (laughs) Oh, boy. This is a very academic podcast, listeners. We're doing great. We're doing so swell. So... Last time, uh, Isabella and Mr. Woodhouse were talking about their favorite apothecaries, Perry and Wingfield, and John Knightley, grumpier of the grumpy set of brothers, uh, was not having it, and Emma and George were making peace. I just thought of a name for the Knightley brothers, the Brothers Grump. Perfect. Instead of the brothers Grimm. They're also Grimm, so. They are both Grimm and Grumpy. Our Grumpy boys. We got some um some people on Instagram in defense of John Knightley, so. No, no. Listen, we love John Knightley. We love our Grumpy King, and especially in this set of chapters, yes. he is the best. Yeah, he. but he is undeniably grumpy, and I will not have any 
listener tell me otherwise. No, he is grumpy. He is a little rude, but we relate and we stand. Yes, exactly. So should we dive into it? Oh, yes, we shall. We shaz. We shaz. And now to the cream. <laughs> Isabella goes about every morning on her visit, seeing friends, bringing her children to her friends, and then comes back and reports to Emma and Mr. Woodhouse about her day's travels. And in the evenings, they just hang out, the four of them and the kids. But there is one dinner engagement that was insisted upon, and that was the Westons on Christmas Eve of all times. And even Mr. Woodhouse agrees to go rather than have Isabella spend Christmas Eve away at the Westons. So Mr. Woodhouse tries to make a big thing about how how are they all going to get there? We're, we're never going to all fit in the carriage. But Isabella also has her carriage there, so it's just non not issue. Yeah, we're taking two cars. It's pretty easy. Yeah, it's like we drove here, Dad. <laughs> so they say that they even have room for Harriet to come. The people outside of their party that are invited are Harriet, Mr. Knightley, and Mr. Elton. The night before the dinner, Harriet was supposed to stay at Hartfield, but she came down with a bad cold. And the next morning, she's no better. So with many tears, it's decided that she cannot come to dinner. This is so relatable. Yeah. Also, I mean, the whole thing with Harriet being sick like, they go over there, and they are just in her sick bed, like, fawning over her. I'm like, Emma, you're going to get sick. It's winter. I'm like Mr. Woodhouse, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a the, that's a very Mr. Woodhouse thought. But also, this harkens back to Perry v. Wingfield, because they were debating whether or not it was a heavy flu season. Oh, yeah. Guess Mr. Perry was right. Was it Mr. Perry or Mr. Wingfield who said? Oh, gosh, I don't know. So... Emma goes over, she sits with Harriet for a while, and she tells her Mr. Elton will definitely be so depressed when he finds out how she's doing, and they're not going to have any fun without her, and that reassures Harriet a little bit. As she's leaving Harriet, she runs into Mr. Elton, who was just on his way to see her, and he's like, oh, and he turns around and walks with Emma. This is this is the second time you've seen Mr. Elton go from like going to help someone in need to following Emma somewhere, which, you know, as a priest is not an ideal thing for him to be doing. I keep forgetting he's a priest. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's like head of the little he's the Mr. Collins of the area. He's really just giving me major dumb jock vibes. I will neither confirm nor deny. And maybe, yeah, maybe it's because I know that this was adapted into a high school movie, but I just imagine him as the jock character, like the dumb one who is really hot and people are all like falling all over him, but he actually has no substance. That's Mr. Elton. So Becca's doing her best blank stare at me, listeners. So he turns around, he walks with Emma, and they also run into Mr. John Knightley and two of his sons. He walks with them as well. Emma gives them a report of Harriet and Elton is like kind of what I just said. Oh, my God. Like you were just with her. Like, I hope she's not contagious. Are you OK? You got to take care of yourself, Emma. <laughs> the, the reason I said Emma that way is because he cares more about Emma than Harriet. And it is so obvious. Oh, oh is it? Is it? To me. <laughs> Emma assures him that she is fine and that Mrs. Goddard is taking good care of Harriet. But she wants him to stay a little bit worried. So she's like, you know, it's it's looking like snow and it's really cold. And if it were up to me, I think we should all stay home. But since my dad's already made up his mind and he doesn't seem to care about the cold, which is weird for him, like we're all going to go. But if I were you, I would cancel like I, you have no obligation, Elton. You should stay home and maybe go visit Harriet. And he, quote, 
was very much gratified by the care of such a fair lady and not liking to resist any advice of hers. But he really wants to go to dinner. I wonder why. Oh, oh, it, it seems like there might be a reason why, right? It seems like there might be. I mean, from this conversation alone. Also, just like how much would that bum you out if someone was like, I'm not going to cancel, but I feel like you should. Yeah, it's it's rude. She doesn't realize what she's doing. And he's kind of like, uh, um, yeah, it's, it is really cold. And Emma, because she is too wrapped up in her, quote, previous conceptions, which is basically what this entire book has been so far, she thinks that him saying that is him agreeing that he's not going to come and he will call on Harriet instead. But just as she's saying she's going to give the Westons his apologies, Mr. John Knightley is like, oh, you should ride with us to dinner. And Elton's like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, quote, never had his smile been stronger nor his eyes more exulting than when he next looked at her. Oh, my God. So also, like, this moment is just, like, Emma's trying to pull some shit and John Knightley's like, don't worry, you can come with us. And she's like, bro. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. And Emma thinks it's strange that he would choose to go with them instead of staying back with Harriet. But she figures that some men just really like dining out. And she thinks to herself, what a strange thing love is. He can see ready wit in Harriet, but will not dine alone for her. Emma. (laughs) Emma is like one of the cleverest women like in literature, but this is her this is her bullshit. Yeah, she's just stumped on this. She just cannot see past what she has already decided. It's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. So Elton departs them and he's like, I'm gonna go call on Harriet and and I hope to bring a better report later. Emma and John keep walking and John is like, I have never met a bigger tryhard and people pleaser <laughs> than Mr. Elton. And it's particularly so with women. And Emma's like, well, I mean, he means well. He's just being nice. And John says, oh, yes, he does seem to have particular goodwill towards you. He's like, yeah, that guy's got a raging boner for you. (laughs) Yeah, I lost it. I was like, finally, someone is calling attention to this. And Emma's like, what do you mean? Like, no, couldn't be. And he's like, "Uh, yeah. And she's like, Mr. Elton in love with me? What a thought. Someone pointed out to us that for all Emma thinks of herself, and she does think very highly of herself, this truly never crossed her mind. We'll get into this in the study questions, but as to why this never crossed her mind, there is a reading of it that it is Emma being humble. There is another reading of it we could do, and I will discuss it at a later point in this podcast. Ooh, I cannot wait to talk about this further because I also have thoughts. But I think at this point in time, I can safely confirm for you that like this, this theory of yours is correct. Like, yes, very obviously at this point in the book. Yes, but I am so proud of myself for catching it early on because there was a time in which I didn't even realize that Caroline Bingley had a crush on Mr. Darcy. Yes, you've gotten incredible at reading these books and picking up on the cues Jane Austen is throwing at you. This one in particular, I will say, um, Jane Austen is trying to make it obvious that Emma's a fucking idiot. Right. Um, but it's, you know... <laughs> She has no idea about love at all. Oh, and we'll talk about that. Yeah. What a strange thing love is, she says. Mm-hmm. Mr. John Knightley tells her that he's not saying that he, this is definitive, but she should think about it and watch how she behaves around him because she's encouraging him. And she's like, no, we're just friends. But she's amused by, quote, the mistakes which people of high pretensions to judgment are forever falling into, as if she is not a person with high pretensions to judgment. 
herself. Oh, yes. And she, I actually wrote down this quote because I thought it was so funny. Hang on, let me pull it up. She walked on, amusing herself in consideration of the blunders which often arise from a partial knowledge of circumstances, of the mistakes which people of high pretensions to judgment are ever falling into, and not very well pleased with her brother for imagining her so blind and ignorant and in want of counsel. Someone's blind and ignorant and in want of counsel. I love this part because it's the idea of like the fact that John Knightley doesn't know anything about what's happening. He doesn't have all the context. And oh man, he's so full of himself. He thinks he knows everything. How dare he think he knows more about this situation than me. When he's like right on the nose. I mean, yeah, at this point in time, like if I'm telling you it's like true, then you know this is obvious and Jane Austen wants you to know it's obvious. Yes, otherwise you would keep it a secret from me for longer. Absolutely. So yes, John Knightley sees right through it and this is the beginning of my standing John Knightley. Oh yes. So they all get into their carriages when they arrive back and Mr. Woodhouse actually does not seem to mind the cold at all. He's just like, I'm going on a trip. I'm so proud of myself for making this decision and we are going and he is ignoring the fact that it is cold and snowing, which... I get. Mm -hmm. And then as they're going, it starts to snow. And I wanted to read this part because I loved this description. Oh, yes. The cold, however, was severe. And by the time the second carriage was in motion, a few flakes of snow were finding their way down. And the sky had the appearance of being so overcharged as to want only a milder air to produce a very white world in a very short time. They are getting snowed in at Randall's. No way they're not. That's my prediction. Neither confirm nor deny. Emma is riding with her brother, Mr. John Knightley, who's very grumpy about leaving, and he thinks that Mr. Weston must think very highly of himself to ask them to come over on a day like this. I find this part with John Knightley immensely relatable. If the weather is bad, I do not want to leave my apartment. Same. And he talks about it for, like, two hefty paragraphs. Like, he is like, and and the snow, and it's cold, and how dare he, and how we, why would he pull someone from the comfort of their own home and their own fire and all this stuff? And I was like, yeah, they should have just had a Zoom Christmas. Exactly. Like, that was the vibes. I was like, you got snowed in, or it's about to get snowed in. Like, you should be careful before you leave I get it and also like when the weather is bad I want to put on PJs I want to order takeout but I don't want to do that to the delivery drivers so instead I'll make like pasta or soup or something and watch a movie Mm -hmm. so (laughs) my notes say John Knightley is a relatable queen (laughs) John Knightley is a relatable queen he is a relatable queen but do you see how he's Michelle he is Michelle yeah someone someone commented on that was like you found the Michelle of uh, whatever this book Jane is. Austen. Jane Austen. Um, whatever this book is. <laughs> yeah, he's like, nature is literally telling us to stay home and we're venturing out into the wild. And Emma can't bring herself to give him any reply. She's like, I don't want to agree with you. I don't want to start a fight. So she doesn't say anything. They go to pick up Mr. Elton and he is so cheerful that she thinks he must have gotten a better report of Harriet than she had when she had called for news of Harriet just before. Uh, and they had told her that she was not better. And he's like, oh, yeah, yes, I I also called. And Mrs. Goddard told me that she was much worse, which is surprising because I I was sure that your visit earlier would have healed her. And Emma's like, well, even I can't charm away a cold. But as you must have heard, Mr. Perry was with her. And he's like, "Uh, I imagine so, but I did not. um, He didn't go up to see her, did he? Well, he called on her. So he went, he talked to Mrs. Goddard, and then he left? Yeah. Well, I guess if she's not doing better. Yeah. Also, if he's not trying to fuck, then like, why would he go see a sick lady? I mean, he's a priest, but you know. Right. Well, that's the thing is that like, 
he's not and he didn't want to see her but emma is expecting that he went up to see her so this is another sign that he does not want to see her Emma's like, I'm sure Harriet will be better tomorrow, but it's really a loss to our party tonight. And Elton agrees that she will be missed. But then 30 seconds later, he moves on to talk about how wonderful it is to have sheepskin carriages and he can't even feel the cold outside. And basically then he has two hefty paragraphs about everything the opposite of what John said a minute ago. Oh, yes. Which I love that uh, juxtaposition there. He's like, oh, yes, it's looking like snow. And John is like, yeah, we're going to get a lot of snow. And then... Elton is like, oh, what a perfect thing for Christmas, like a white Christmas. Look at that. I love this part because you can feel both Emma and John Knightley getting more irritated with Elton as they're in this carriage with him longer. Emma, because he doesn't seem to give a shit about Harriet and John Knightley, because he's so cheerful about everything that is making John Knightley fucking furious right now. And when someone's being cheerful when you're grumpy, especially about the thing that is making you grumpy, it's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Elton is like, oh, one time I went to a friend's house for Christmas and we were snowed in for a week and it was the best. And John is like, well, I really hope we're not snowed a week at Randall's. And Emma is just shocked at how easily he's forgotten Harriet. So he goes on to say he's glad their party is small because he prefers a small party, though he thinks John's probably used to large London parties. And John says, well, I wouldn't know. I never dine with anybody. And Elton's like, oh, you poor thing. You're a lawyer. You're married to your work. I hope one day you'll be able to leave that and work less and party more. And John says his first enjoyment will be to get back to Hartfield. I don't think he's getting back to Hartfield anytime soon. Yes. But I also wanted to read one more bit because I just thought it was so funnily phrased by Jane yes. Austen. This is from the paragraph where um, he's talking about uh, how wonderful the party is going to be. Mr. Elton, he goes... I think you will agree with me, turning with a soft air to Emma. I think I shall certainly have your approbation, though Mr. Knightley, perhaps from being used to the large parties of London, may not quite enter into our feelings. But I just love that it's in paragraphs. It's turning with a soft air to Emma. Yeah, he's he's all over her. Mm. And she simply doesn't notice. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, she's starting to, and we'll yeah. get to that. Yeah, I think we have to get to that. It's part of the reason I'm willing to confirm is like this next chapter, you see that he's just like following her around this party. Yes. So that brings us to the next chapter. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now, Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films, or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. 
Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. They arrive at the Westons and Mr. Elton has to like chill out and Mr. John Knightley has to get happy. It says that Elton needs to smile less and John needs to smile more. I wanted to point out another person who needs to smile less, according to Mr. Darcy, Jane Bennett. And I think that actually Mr. Elton does smile too much, but not in the Jane Bennett way because it's not like, I don't want to say it's not genuine, but like it's not genuine. He's a people pleaser in a way that's gross to me. I don't like him. Oh, we don't like Elton now. Well, it's not that I don't like him. It's that I'm I am equally as annoyed with him as not as Emma, but as Mr. John Knightley. <laughs> so from this perspective, you are John Knightley because one, you don't like leaving your house. Two, you think Emma's an idiot for not realizing Elton wants to bang her. And three, you're getting pissed off at Mr. Elton for being too cheerful. Exactly. I love this. Yeah. So we love John Knightley. We relate. And, uh, you know, so Mr. Woodhouse arrived first and he has already caught the Westons up on the whole Harriet situation. So he, they, they don't have to catch him up. And then Emma arrives and she's so happy to see her friend and they catch up for half an hour. And she is just determined to forget about the whole Elton situation. However, this is hard because he decides to sit next to her and just keep talking her ear off while she's trying to have a conversation with other people, but he's like just in her ear, just like, and she can't help but wonder in this moment if John was right and that perhaps he is starting to transfer his affections to her from Harriet. Again, he never liked Harriet, Emma, but at least she's starting to see it. Are you sure he never liked Harriet? Um, I never noticed him liking Harriet, but I suppose it's possible. It's kind of like, like, I feel like there's a lot of um, stories of someone trying to get someone else with their best friend and they like, kind of like that movie, The Half of It. Have you seen that? I haven't, but I kind of know the plot. Yeah. It's like, she's just trying, she's trying to help this guy get with this other girl and in the process, she falls in love with the girl. So it's kind of different, but uh <laughs> That would, I guess that would be like if Emma and Harriet fell in love, wouldn't it? I uh, I mean, it would be, no, it would be like if Emma fell in love with Elton, which you can tell from this chapter is not currently happening. Totally not happening. <laughs> so the idea to her is absurd and insufferable. Yet, quote, he would be so anxious for her, being perfectly warm, would be so interested about her father and so delighted with Mrs. Weston, and at last would begin admiring her drawings with so much zeal and so little knowledge as seemed terribly like a would-be lover. Now, this has been happening for quite some time. Yes, so here's exactly what happened. Emma had it in her brain 
that Elton was going to be for Harriet because she saw and she was like, these are two people I think would be well matched. And because that's what she saw, that's all she saw. And then you have Elton giving her poems, following her around, wanting to talk to her, obsessing over her painting and all this such stuff. And you have now a circumstance where John Knightley has lifted the wool from Emma's eyes. And now she's seeing all of the ways Elton is with her and it is not something she's enjoying. Totally. I'm picturing it sort of like a montage in a movie with like, uh, what's like, like a dumb song underneath, like, and just like, like little cuts of Elton just like chasing after Emma and her being like, ugh. Yeah, no, I can see exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So it's really hard for her to remain civil as this is happening because he just won't shut up and she's trying to hear what's happening in the other conversation. She hears them talking about Frank, but before she can actually like get Elton to be quiet so that she can ask about it, they've moved on so it would be awkward. Now, I'm going to read a quote. Now, it so happened that in spite of Emma's resolution of never marrying, there was something in the name, in the idea of Mr. Frank Churchill, which always interested her. Boom! What? She thinks if she were to marry, it would be Frank Churchill. Yes. That is something Emma has decided for herself. Let's let's talk about this yeah. for a second. <laughs> yeah. So early on, we read that the Westons had plans for Emma. And I do recall saying that I think that they want her to marry their son. That is something that we deduced. Well, you deduced from uh, the Westons mm. and their designs on Emma. This is Emma herself. Right. Which is it's a lot. So she th- I guess like her thing is. She doesn't necessarily, she doesn't know him and she doesn't like him, but she likes the idea of him and she likes the idea that her friends have pictured them together and want her to be with him and she kind of sees him as belonging to her because of their family connections. But like what's weirdest is that she is okay with that and like wants that potentially. Yeah, and let's take a moment to think about it in total because there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, what have we learned about Frank Churchill so far in the story? We've gotten some facts about who he is as a person. We know he's about 23 years old. Mm -hmm. He's a young man. Um, He's been raised by his aunt and uncle, people of quite a bit of wealth. Um, We know Mr. Churchill keeps up with his father but has not been back to Highbury since he was a child. And so he is this sort of like prodigal son heir of mystery for the town of Highbury and for Mr. Weston and for everyone in his life. So there is this sense to which he is simultaneously quite a suitable match for Emma. He's wealthy. He's of the right age, albeit a little young for her, um, because, you know, women usually did marry a bit older men in that era and Frank is you know not very far off Emma's actual age and Frank is you know by all accounts a gentleman but he's also of her town he's also of her history he's also of her people so Emma can continue to have sort of this you know connection to the life she has in Highbury which as we've learned when women get married they're kind of cut off from their 
original lives in this era, but she would also have someone new and exciting and of appropriate marital status for her. But kind of on the last thing that you said, like she, he's of her town in that he is Mr. Weston's son, but he hasn't been back since he was a kid. And it's kind of hard, like we'll learn later on in this chapter, but his aunt really doesn't like like him leaving or going to visit his dad. So were she to marry him and go live with him, like there's a possibility that she would also be kept from her family and kept from the Westons, who she cares a lot about. So I think that's kind of it's just something she's overlooking. But she sees we'll, – we'll get into what she's choosing to overlook about the Churchills, but that's just something to think about as well. Yeah. But anyway, were were you shooketh? I was shooketh. I was screaming. Yeah. Wait. I want to hear. I want to hear what the surprise was like. Uh. Well, our patrons will get to see what my book looks like. But there's just <laughs> a, a lot of like question marks and exclamation points. And I was surprised because we've talked a lot about Emma's lack of desire for marriage and love in general. And this doesn't sound like the way she's talking about it doesn't sound like a love thing. It doesn't sound like a desire for romance or marriage thing. It's just like, if I were to marry, it would be this guy. But just to think of that, she's like thinking about it at all was just a shock to me because usually she's just thinking about other people. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, so we learn even more about Frank Churchill here. Yes. So later at dinner, Emma is sitting next to... Mr. Weston and thank God for her and he brings it up again and he's like Frank wrote to us and he's planning to visit within a fortnight and he says that Frank's wanted to come since September but his aunt wouldn't let him she has to be pleased all the time and she's only pleased with sacrifices is what he says and Emma thinks that him visiting must make Mr. Weston and Mrs. Weston so happy and he's like well Mrs. Weston doesn't actually believe he's gonna come but I know that he will because There's a family that's supposed to visit Enscombe in January, but Mrs. Churchill doesn't particularly like the family, and they always invite them out of just kind of tradition and expectation of their two families, but they always end up putting it off after, like, once they come to it. So he's pretty sure they're not going to come, Frank's going to be free, and he's going to come to visit them. He tells Emma that Mrs. Weston has so few vagaries, which is an unexpected and inexplicable change in situation or in someone's behavior, that she just can't imagine that they would cancel their plans after having their plans. She can't depend on that for him coming. Though it is kind of shitty that he said, I'll come as long as these other plans get canceled. It makes them feel like kind of a second choice. Oh, for sure. And that that is something that is good to pick up on. But also, I think it's clear from these chapters that he actually Frank Churchill does not have much control over his own life totally and there is a lot in his family history that points in that direction remember he is the son of you know Mr. Weston this guy who kind of had to build his way up in the world and his mother the Churchill mother that was married to Mr. Weston she was a rebel that her family disowned And so we have Frank here whose choices sort of as a result of the fact that he comes from this weird rebellion of this girl from a very wealthy family, his life has been very regimented for him. I mean, and this is a question we'll talk about later, but it's, it's not fully clear how much he's blowing off his father and how much he's genuinely confined 
to the whims of his very cruel aunt. Mm. Yeah, it makes me feel for him. I mean, it's it's you don't know what to feel yet because you haven't been told enough to know whether or not it's one thing or the other thing. Right. But I was like, I was annoyed at him for not having come since he was a kid and all of that. But definitely now I see that that's not necessarily his choice. Not necessarily his choice. Right. But potentially his choice. Who knows? Whom's to say? Who's to say? Whomst, if you will. Whomst. So Emma's like, well, I think he's going to come. And he's like, Mrs. Churchill is odd. And I never really speak ill of her, except he kind of does. <laughs> I mean, if I were Mr. Weston, I would speak ill of her. She took a son. Oh, yeah. No, she's evil. I hate yeah. her. <laughs> um, but he's like, I, I really do believe she likes Frank, even though she has a heart of stone and a devil of a temper to everyone else. After dinner... When the men and women separate, Emma brings it up to Mrs. Weston, who's like, well, I can't depend upon Frank's coming. And Emma's like, it depends on Mrs. Churchill's ill humor, it seems, which seems to be the most certain thing in the world, which I thought was funny. Mrs. Weston then says to Emma and Isabella, she says, to my two daughters, which was really sweet. Oh, She says that Mrs. Churchill rules at Enscombe, and it depends on her being willing to let Frank leave. And Isabella's like, oh, yeah, Mrs. Churchill, everyone knows Mrs. Churchill. And I always feel bad for Frank living with an ill-tempered person. Savage as hell. I died. This was my favorite funniest quote because who else lives with an ill-tempered person? It's a good question. Now, we've discussed that we like John Knightley now, but I think in a way that we can poke fun at him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she does live with an ill-tempered person in that regard. That's why it's funny to me is because she's like, she's like, oh, that must really suck living with someone who's ill-tempered. <laughs> but she just doesn't see it at all. Yeah, not at all. And um, the other thing I was going to say is you might remember that John Knightley, and I asked you about this earlier, was like, yeah, no one likes the Churchills anyway. Right. And they would know because they live in London. So they know the Churchills. Yes. But now you think you have a better picture, at least partially as to why people don't like the Churchills. Well, are they outwardly the worst? Yes. Okay. They're hostile people. Got it. Yeah. uh, You hear from Mr. Weston that she's mean to everyone except Frank. I wasn't sure if he was saying that just because he hates her himself, but it seems like she just really is. No, no. She's just spiteful and mean as a person. Got it. Yeah. Emma knows that if Isabella hadn't been there at this time, she would have been able to get more out of Mrs. Weston. But as it is, there's nothing more to be said. And then Mr. Woodhouse comes in because he was in there with the men, but he didn't really care to be talking to them. He wanted to come back where he's comfortable with his daughters and Mrs. Weston. So he comes out to sit with them. And while he's talking to Isabella, Emma has a moment alone with Mrs. Weston. And she's like, you know, I know this introduction must be unpleasant and I wish you could get it over with. And that he would just come. Why will the introduction be unpleasant? I think it's there's there's like the possibility that he uh, missed their wedding. Oh yeah, and that you know she's possibly pregnant with his sibling. Oh yeah, and um, we don't know at this point whether Frank is blowing them off or if he's genuinely confined. Right. So there is a way in which it could be unpleasant for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mrs. Weston thinks that even if the family that they don't like, whose name is the Braithwites or Braithwaites, even if they are put off, Frank will find some other reason to disappoint them. Not necessarily intentionally, but the Churchills are jealous of his affection for his father and they try to keep him from them. This is what she is saying, is her theory. And she wishes that Mr. Weston wouldn't get his hopes up. 
Emma thinks he ought to come if only for a few days. And she says that a young woman can be confined like that, but she can't comprehend a man being restrained in the same way. Just a commentary, I suppose, but it does hit different when she's like, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be so unusual if he were a woman and his family was keeping him from the people that he wants to spend time with. But as a man, they should let him go about his business. Well, yeah, he's a young man of the world. Like, he's he's a young gentleman who will inherit a great fortune. Um, he should be, you know, gallivanting around, uh, learning about things, making connections, learning about the property he will inherit, and then finding a wife. And whereas women are supposed to be sort of paraded around for uh, marriage but are most likely set to stay at home in most circumstances. Sigh. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Weston tells Emma that Enscombe can't be judged by the rules of the rest of the world, and Mrs. Churchill is just unreasonable. And Emma thinks that Mrs. Churchill must sometimes be overruled by Frank because she's so fond of him. And Mrs. Weston tells Emma that she, with her sweet temper, can never understand someone like Mrs. Churchill. Emma says she won't be satisfied unless he comes. <laughs> Tough. Very tough moment. (laughs) Tough moment for the 21st century. I lost it. Yep. Uh, Mrs. Weston says that while Frank may have some sway on other matters, his coming to visit them is not one of them. And that's the end of these two chapters. We're leaving halfway through a party, and uh, that's not something I often do to you. True. Yes, but we are on the study questions now. First of all, Molly was right. Yay! We have confirmation of some form that Elton has some sort of draw towards Emma and some appeal towards Emma in some regard. We don't know much about it at this point, but we know that someone else picked up on it. Why do you think Elton has anything for Emma and what do you think that is? Well, Emma's hot. Mm -hmm. Emma's rich. Mm -hmm. Emma is a wit. Mm -hmm. She's smart. Mm -hmm. And she is showing him a lot of attention. Mm Mm-hmm. Not for the reasons that he thinks. I mean, I don't know if he knows how much she's been trying to get him together with Harriet. I don't know if he's smart enough to have picked up on it. I mean, it was pretty obvious, but I think that he just was happy to have her spending time with him. I mean, she's good at art. He likes that. Um, She read his poem and wanted to put it in the book. Uh, There's lots of reasons that he could like Emma. Okay, I'm not going to react to any of that because I think I want to uh, save those conversations for a later date. Great. But I wanted to put on the record why you think you might like Emma. Okay. Why don't you think Emma saw it? Now that's a good question because she prides herself on being uh, an understander of humans and she's not really. uh, She kind of sees whatever she wants to see. I guess that's it. She kind of sees what she wants to see so that's why she didn't see it because she wasn't paying attention to that. Okay. Again, we're going to have a conversation about this uh, at a later date, but I want to put these on the record so that when I talk about them later, you can come back to your thoughts on this. Great. Okay. Uh, Why did John Knightley see it? Why did John Knightley see it? Well, John Knightley, for all that he is a curmudgeon, like he sees things and he knows Emma pretty well. Same as Mr. Knightley, Mr. George Knightley. He's a man. He's a man. So maybe he understands the signs of a man having a crush better than Emma, who might, you know, be gay. Or (laughs) gay, gay, 
Uh, but yeah, I think that he he was looking for it, maybe. Yes, I also think there's um, this is one of the benefits of adding new faces to the book at this point. You get fresh eyes on the situation, and the fresh eyes have not seen this buildup where Emma's so obviously trying to get him and Harriet together. Um, he just sees Emma and Elton interact. Without Harriet there. Without Harriet there. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, uh, John Knightley sees through a lot of Emma's bullshit. Yeah. As does his brother, George Knightley. But that combo, I think, allows him to look at the situation and be like, yeah, that guy wants you. Yeah, I was going to say, he's not one to have, like, uh, to be kind of biased by affection for someone he very much will tell it how it is. I mean, he reminds me of Mr. Palmer a little bit. And we love Mr. Palmer. But uh, I think that he just, yeah, he's not going to be like taking anyone's side of things. And he even is pretty impartial in this. Like he's like, I'm not saying this is how it is, but I think you're leading him on. And I think that he just is going to tell it how it is. How will this fadge? I don't know. I think Emma's going to increasingly notice what Elton is doing and she's going to become more and more irritated with him. I also think she's probably going to try to distance herself from him or make it more obvious that she does not like him. And I'm worried that will also drive him away from Harriet uh, because she, you know, she's just caught up in this. Like she didn't have any choice in the matter. Emma was like, you like Elton. And she was like, okay. And now she does and she's kind of stuck. All right. We're going to switch to Frank Churchill. We touched on some of these questions uh, I'm asking already, but we're going to talk about them again and we're going to expand on them. Uh, Why do you think Emma thinks he's her man? It seems very practical. Like she she's like, our families are connected. He comes from a wealthy family or he lives with a wealthy family, rather. I also liked what you said about it would keep her close to the Westons and her family. I disagree that like I think that there's a possibility it would actually separate her from them. But like. He's also mysterious and hot and she knows that the Westons want them to get together and she loves the Westons. And so I think that it's it feels like a done deal in her mind. It's just weird because she has always said she doesn't want to marry. So I don't understand why she's trying to talk about it now halfway through the book. Well, what does it say about Emma's perception of love that she's doing it now? Uh, that she's thinking about it right now. I mean, one, her perception of love is about practicality hearkening back to the potential that Emma's just ace and is looking for like she knows well I'm a woman I know that I said I would rather just stay living with my dad and you know I have a perfect life as it is I know that I'm expected to marry this guy is a good match for me I might as well he's there we could probably stay at my house uh like she her perception of, of love is rooted in just like expectation and practicality for herself. For other people, she's like, this is the greatest romance of all time. But I think for herself, it's it's what I said. That is a really good interpretation of it. And I think it's one that works, especially like if you were someone who sees ace representation for yourself and Emma, I think that's a really fair reading of it. I'm going to offer another interpretation as well, not like counter to it, but just sort of in uh, complement to it. Frank to Emma looks like a fantasy. Mm. He is not a fully realized person. He is a mystery person about her age who is supposed to be rich, dashing, smart, kind, who would be connected to her family already. And 
she can see herself in that regard with him. To me, this strikes me also as some of that like immature energy you get around some people who like really fixate on celebrity crushes. Not not in a bad way. It's just like when I was a teenager, a lot of the like most intense feelings I had were for fictional characters and for uh, television show characters and actors. And that's, I think, completely normal. It just shows that like you're not ready to sort of like face the realities of like what it means to like really love someone. It means you kind of want to play a little fantasy in your head. I don't mean that to sound as condescending as it does. It doesn't sound condescending. I totally get what you're saying. She's not in a place where she wants romance for herself in real life, but she's able to have a crush on Frank Churchill because he is something removed from her real life. Absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. She's a fanfic girl. Yes. She's a fanfic girl. Yes, and we we are all fanfic girls, which is why we love Jane Austen books so much. Exactly. Like, yeah, I, to make it clear, Becca and I both see this, have have been this, and see this in ourselves. Yeah, this is like a really relatable queen moment for Emma, in my opinion. Yes, agree. So I think that kind of also is consistent with how she perceives herself as a matchmaker as well, because those are also fantasies. They're just for other people. Mm. It's great fancies of love, and part of, like, her anti-marriage strain in her is also this idea that nothing could live up to it. Yeah, I am really relating to Emma right now. Because I might cut this, but before I met Mel, like everything, I like had crushes on so many fictional, I had a crush on Emily Hampshire. I was like, oh my God, one day I'm going to meet Emily Hampshire. We're going to fall in love and that's going to be it for me. I just like, that was, and that was recent. And then I like, met someone I was like oh shit this is what it's like in real life and so like I get that and I, I like maybe she will meet someone who just changes that for her who knows and maybe I'll cut that who knows who's to say who's to- yes all right uh we learned a bit more about Mrs. Churchill here what does it tell us in the story where we are we understand that Mrs. Churchill is the worst still curious about Mr. Churchill um as in Mr. Churchill senior But it tells us, what does it tell us? It gives us more context for Frank, for sure, like that he might be stuck where he is and uh, might not have a great life where he is. Um, What else does it say about where we are? I mean, it also it's just a story obstacle at this point. We don't know much about Frank. And the reason we don't know much about Frank at this point is because there's a wall around him and that wall is um, partially mystery, but at this point it seems very heavily influenced by the fact that his aunt will not let him come. And that is part of the reason that we have this like great town mystery around him. Mm. He's like the princess locked in his tower. Exactly. Mm. Again, adds to the romance of him as a figure. Yeah, definitely. Um, Churchill versus Weston. Where do you think... Frank falls like would you think he's going to be like as a person is he more um Weston or is he more Churchill in his sensibility gosh I don't I truly have no idea because I did start these chapters being annoyed at him for never visiting for saying he's going to visit he never comes and I was like he's wishy-washy though Churchill's have rubbed off on him um based on what I know about them but then knowing this like knowing that he's actually being kept from coming Maybe he's more Weston. Maybe he, like, loves his dad just as much as he says he does and really wants to come 
see him. Uh, maybe he's just a pushover. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I want to say Weston, but I'm worried about when we meet him. I'm not sure he's going to live up to expectations. Last question before the standbys. Will Frank come? God, I don't know. Like, I don't know. He better. I mean, if he doesn't, then what? where is the drama? The drama? Yeah, but then also, I guess, the more they delay the visit, it's going to get delayed. It's not going to be in January. It's not going to be in two weeks from now. It's going to be like down the line maybe march or april like he's gonna he's gonna show up one day unannounced and he's gonna be like i've made it and they're gonna be like what the fuck maybe i don't know what do you think of emma i relate to her more and more each episode <laughs> i mean we've just talked about how she either is viewing love as just a practical thing marriage is practical it doesn't have to be romantic and for herself but we've also discussed her having these romantic notions that she feels like are not for her. Maybe she's afraid of them. Maybe she's just, you know, doesn't feel like they are for her. Um, but she likes to have them one step removed from her, either in other people or in fantasy men that she thinks she'll never meet or like one day might meet, but like they are removed. So I relate to her on these things. Like she is more and more human each chapter. Funniest quote? Okay. So it's when Isabella and Mrs. Weston and Emma are talking about Frank. And Isabella says, I am sure I never think of that poor young man without the greatest compassion. To be constantly living with an ill-tempered person must be dreadful. It is what we happily have never known anything of. Oh, she lives with Michelle. Michelle. <laughs> Questions moving forward? Will Frank visit? Will Emma actually like him when she meets him? My guess is no. I'm feeling like he's going to come and she's going to be like, oh, and like feel let down and be like, okay, actually expectations don't live up to reality. Back to my fantasy world and my matchmaking. That's my prediction. Um, but that's a question I have is will he come? When will he come? When will Harriet feel better? What's going to happen with Elton? Uh, How yeah. will this badge? How will this badge, essentially? Uh, who wins the chapters? I think I will give this one to John Knightley. I agree. <laughs> um, so that makes up for any shit we talked about him last episode. Oh, I will continue to talk shit about John Knightley. He is not very nice to his father-in-law. <laughs> or to his wife, honestly, sometimes. But but we still we still find ways to laugh at and with him. Yes, indeed. All right, listeners, that concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice for next time. If you want to read chapters 15 and 16 of Emma, volume the first, you will be reading along with some interesting parts with me and Molly. I am so excited. Oh, my God. <laughs> so until next time, stay proper. And uh, stay home if it's snowing outside, honestly. Yeah, sounds good. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.